This is Ira Glass of This American Life, and you're listening to PF's Tape Recorder. Hello there, I'm PF, this is my tape recorder, and welcome to another installment of the History of Synth Pop. This is episode 5. Kind of debated with myself how we're going to approach the next couple of episodes, because as we enter the early 80s, uh, synth pop finally takes off, to coin a phrase, and it becomes popular, really popular, in the United Kingdom, where a lot of bands do well in the charts, and even in the United States, bands start to chart uh, even though they don't chart as high as they do in Britain, uh, the top 40 starts to become full of synth-pop bands, mostly in the lower numbers, in the 20s, the 30s, places like that. But you're getting top 10 hits in the UK. So I decided to divide this up by country. We're going to stay over in England uh, and the UK for episode 5, and then in episode 6 we will see what's going on in the United States. I figured that was a good way to do it. And to open episode 5, uh, I'm going to visit a couple of guys I forgot to mention uh, a couple of episodes ago, but I think they actually fit well here in this spot now that I think about it. Um, Two guys are David Bowie and uh, a guy that helps him out, uh, Brian Eno. Brian Eno, I kind of have a blind spot for, but I guess it's not too big a blind spot because he has had more success helping other artists than he has had success as a solo artist. He's released a lot of albums, and he's uh, really, his own stuff is really avant-garde and not very, like, I guess, poppy, whereas the stuff he, when he helped out other people, uh, he helped them use electronics, you know, to get, get an accessible sound. And David Bowie, no exception. Now, real quickly, uh, David Bowie, uh, along with a lot of other art, not, well, a couple of the artists, I, I would say are one of the very few artists from the New Wave era who actually were in existence before, well before punk and New Wave, but really managed to move through the times. In fact, I would say Bowie's probably the godfather of New Wave, and definitely one of the top five most influential music artists of all time, at least for pop and rock. So, uh, you get punk comes out, uh, people think in 1976, that's not true. Uh, actually, punk predates the Sex Pistols and London in 1976. Uh, in fact, the Sex Pistols really aren't even the first punk band, probably the second. Anyway, uh, punk really has its origins back in the United States in New York City, imagine that. Uh, 1960s, late 60s, Velvet Underground, uh, as a fellow from Detroit, you may know Iggy Pop. He's probably, he's, he is later called the godfather of punk. And of course, the New York Dolls and the Ramones, these are your first punk bands. Uh, and then of course, the new wave bands will branch off from there. And I think just in a nutshell, punk bands followed Iggy Pop and the Stooges. Uh, new wave bands followed Bowie as a kind of a painting with a broad brush, but that, and Bowie and Iggy Pop are, are mates. Uh, they've become buddies. Uh, indeed, uh, Bowie covers his China Girl song, Iggy Pop's China Girl song, on the big smash hit album uh, in 1983, Let's Dance. So anyway, getting back to Bowie and Eno and uh, New Wave and post-punk. Uh, Bowie, of course, uh, ever the chameleon, and Bowie is certainly one of those artists, and when some artists change styles and do different styles, it's like, oh, it's that guy trying to do this style, but Bowie really immersed himself and pulled it off with the Philly sound, glam rock, whatever it was, he could do it. Um, and even when he was, it looked like he was following the wave thing, he really wasn't. He was actually still leading. It was incredible. So anyway, uh, 1977, there's an album called Low. He records it in Germany. I believe it's part of a trilogy. He goes there to kind of like sober up uh, with, I don't know, middling success, I suppose. But on the album Low, uh, and I believe 
Brian Eno is mixed up in this. There's a song called Sound and Vision, which I think is one of Bowie's best songs. And while most of what Eno did, he didn't even play a keyboard. He just put electronic sounds on it using dials and kind of almost the old-fashioned way, almost like uh, the gal that uh, helped compose the theme for Doctor Who. He does that, but this actually uses actual keyboards, I believe, and it's a, a very early indicator of, of the synth pop to come, and I think it also lays a lot of groundwork for, again, for the synth pop bands to come. So here we are with David Bowie, Sound and Vision. David Bowie's Sound and Vision later covered brilliantly by Book of Love. We will probably explore that in a later episode. But anyway, we're back to 1982 Britain. Uh, Vince Clark has left Depeche Mode. Human League have had a, a big hit with Don't You Want Me, number one, in the homeland. So people are finally used to keyboards and synths in the, U- in the UK, and they dig it, man. So what happens in the Depeche Mode camp, of course, like I said, is Vince Clark, the chief songwriter, realizes, like, you know, with all this technology and stuff and the help of Daniel Miller, I can just do this myself. Sort of. Uh, what happens is he realizes, well, I need somebody to sing because I can't sing. So he places an advert, as they say, in the British music press. And a gal he's friendly with from school, they weren't really mates, but he, they knew of each other. Uh, he answers her ad, I think, looking for someone to help her write blues music. And he's thinking, like, that would be cool to mix blues with synth pop. So he uh, answers the ad of one Alison Moyet. They form a group called Yazoo, just Yaz to us here in the United States and Canada. And they released two really, really good albums. And I'm looking back at their history, they only released four singles from those two albums, which is insane because both albums are just off the charts. Here in the United States, they're known for a song called Situation, which you may not know that you know. It's heard a lot on, like, Newsack systems and in stores. The casino we go to sometimes uh, plays it a lot. And it's it only got the, like, I can think got, it didn't got into the Hot 100 in the United States. It was a big dance hit here. I don't think it's the best song of theirs. Uh, it, it's okay. It's a good song. But I'm going to play you their first single, written by Vince Clark, uh, performed by Vince Clark and Alison Moyet. And this just really encapsulates, I think, the faster Yazoo sound. This is Don't Go. Thank you. 
Don't go from Yazoo, or just Yaz, like I said, to us in the United States. Meanwhile, over in the Depeche Mode camp, uh, they're down to a trio, and people think, well, these guys are done, their chief songwriter left. Well, Martin Gore uh, takes the reins of the band, and they release a, a second album as a trio. After this album, they will hire a guy named Alan Wilder to tour with them, and also he uh, appears on their a, a tween album single called Get the Balance Right. But in the meantime, there is an album called A Broken Frame. Daniel Miller's still involved with them as well. He's t- they're all Depeche Mode and Yaz are all on the mute label together. So Miller helps them create uh, A Broken Frame, which has, I would say... Speak and Spell, Depeche Mode's first album, and the Yazoo albums both have that real clean, crisp sound, where the Depeche Mode albums, at least A Broken Frame, is a kind of a muddier sound to it, and you'll see what I mean, uh, possibly. Uh, I think I played this song when they were contested on PF's third favorite band, but I love this song so much. It's one of my favorite songs of theirs. It was not a single, but uh, it is from their album, A Broken Frame. This is called A Photograph of You. of you from Depeche Mode, the Vince Clarkless Depeche Mode, but they uh, get two top ten singles on this album, The Meaning of Love and See You. So Depeche Mode are doing just fine, and they will become super influential and branch off into a really interesting direction uh, following the single that comes after this album, and we will get to that probably in episode seven, because in episode six, like I said, we're going to visit the United States. Another uh, al- uh, group that finds success are a couple of guys from London. Uh, they are called Blamange, and it's the uh, duo of Neil Arthur and Stephen Lipscomb, similar to Soft Cell, one dude sings, one dude does keyboards, kind of OMD-ish in that respect. Uh, They have a couple of top 10 hits in the UK, and one of them is this international smash called Living on the Ceiling. Yeah. 
moving on the ceiling from Blamange goes to number, I believe, seven in the UK, somewhere. It, it, it bothers the charts, certainly. Uh, it goes to like 52 in the US, so it does get a little bit of airplay here. It's their biggest hit in this country. Like I said, they have a couple of other hits in the US, but again, the, in 1982, the charts in Britain are just filled with, uh, with electronic music. And there's a, a band at this point called Thompson Twins. Uh, they're a bunch of hippies. And uh, they're kind of like Edward Sharp and Magnetic Zeros of the day, if you're familiar with them. And uh, they make an album called A Product Of. It's a, it's a big, it's kind of a mess. It's a pretty good album, but it's, it's all over the place in terms of style. Uh, there's like nine or ten people in the band. It's crazy. Uh, I think they whittle it down to seven for an album called Set. They record in 1982. And while they're recording Set, uh, three of the band members decide they're going to stay late in the studio one night and work on one of the songs that has been written by one Tom Bailey, who's really the chief songwriter of the whole group. And they decide they're going to just do just do the three of them and just do it. And since there are only three of them, they're going to have to rely on some electronics to do it. So uh, they record this song. Love by Thompson Twins from the album set. It doesn't really bother the charts. I think it gets into the top 40, but it does well enough. It's the, it's certainly their most successful song uh, across the two albums that they that they decide, well, we're going to continue on, just the three of us. Uh, their management uh, sacks the other members of the band. They're allowed to keep their equipment, but they cannot perform using the name Thompson Twins, and thank you very much. And uh, one of the guys ends up working with Thomas Dolby, who oddly works on the album set as a session musician, uh, but they all go off and have careers helping out other bands, but the three of them will go on to become the Thompson Twins you know from you know, Into the Gap and Hold Me Now and all that fun stuff coming up, but uh, yes, they move in a very much electronic direction, and in fact, uh, well, when you go back to, uh, hmm, I'm not sure where to put this, but well, they, Sidekicks they release after In the Name of Love, and Sidekicks fits more with In the Name of Love than it does with anything else on set, so um, maybe we'll play that sometime as we wrap up this episode. 
But as we get into 1983, New Order have uh, been kind of oscillating back and forth between being uh, electronic-influenced, all electronic, uh, kind of sticking more to their Joy Division roots. But uh, they start to move in, definitely in the electronic direction in 1983. They release a huge, huge selling 12-inch single called Blue Monday, which you've probably heard to death. And if you haven't, uh, just Google it or Spotify it, and you'll be like, oh, yeah, I know this song. Uh, it comes from an album called Power, Corruption, and Lies. And uh, Andy McCluskey, I saw him interviewed somewhere from OMD, and he was. they asked him, someone said, what is uh, your favorite song that you didn't write, that you wish you would have written? And he goes, oh, that's easy question. I just heard it today. I was playing it in the car. And it happens to be this fantastic track by New Order uh, called Your Silent Face from the album Power, Corruption, and Lies. Very beautiful, Your Silent Face from New Order. Just a great album. Major Consent, another great tune on here. Uh, Blue Monday is fine. I maybe just kind of got tired of it from just because it's one of the few New Order songs people know. Uh, we arrive at uh, early 1983. Uh, there's a band called Eurythmics. It's a duo of Annie Lennox. Get another duo. Duo is very popular in the 80s. So Eurythmics, uh, it's Dave Stewart and Annie Lennox. They are an originally group called The Tourists. Similar to Thompson Twins, they are they want to do different things. They want to be more electronic and experiment with different stuff. So they decide, hey, we'll just form a duo. They release an album that does okay. Uh, they make enough money on it to secure a bank loan and build a studio uh, out in the country where they can record their second album called Sweet Dreams Are Made of This, which produces an international uh, smash hit of the same name. And I noticed a pattern here. Whenever these bands have big hits, and I remember when I was a kid, I didn't really like the big hit song, and not because it was a hit. As soon as I heard it, I was like, well, this is okay. Don't You Want Me by Human League? I've grown to like, but it's not my favorite Human League song. Uh, Sweet Dreams by Eurythmics. It's, sonically, it's great, but I was never keen on it. The stuff they released after, I'm like, oh, this is really good. 
And in fact, their biggest, uh, what I think is their best song, isn't particularly electronic-y. And uh, I think got to, only got to 37 in the UK. It was a number seven hit in Australia. It's called When Tomorrow Comes. Fantastic song. But anyway, in 1983, they're a duo. They released this song. I'm going to play the little blast in the middle that I like a lot. Uh, these, uh, what I call analog strings. They're obviously played on a keyboard and it's supposed to sound like strings. I thought this was the coolest part of the song. So here from uh, Eurythmics, Sweet Dreams are made of this, the uh, synth strings uh, bridge. Here you go. Eurythmics, like I said, have a big, you know, international hit with this. They're superstars at this point. Uh, they make it into the top ten in the U.S. and around the world uh, with some other songs as well. And weirdly, they go in a um, more of a guitar, rocky AOR direction and don't do badly at it. Uh, Thompson Twins tried that too and didn't do as well. They started off okay, but it kind of went off the rails. Eurythmics had a lot of success doing that, and uh, you know, they were able to really move through the times, but still. Uh, sound relevant, so, you know, good on them. And finally, we arrive at our last artist for episode five, a fellow named Howard Jones, a solo artist. He, uh, again, another international hit with a uh, new song. It's his big debut single. He had been kind of mucking about England for a long time. Uh, I believe he or his fiance slash wife got into a car accident and they used the insurance money that they won to buy him a couple of expensive keyboards. And uh, that's when we get uh, the Howard Jones you know today. And uh, this becomes a big hit. And then after this song, I have a little uh, little story to tell you about uh, Howard Jones and, and Thompson Twins. And uh, that's a story I told on the uh, PF's third favorite band, but I'm going to tell it again. because I've told it many times on the podcast, but it just it still sticks in my craw. But anyway, here's a, a great tune by Howard Jones. It's called New Song.
New song from Howard Jones didn't do as well as I thought it did in the United States. Uh, I thought it was a top 10 hit. It's a top 40 hit for sure, but it did not get into the top 10. It's a big top 10 hit in Britain. Again, Howard Jones, same thing with Eurythmics, becomes an international superstar. He'll chart a few more songs in the top 10 in the U.S. He'll have a, quite a few in the top 40, and people know him and love him. And So anyway, getting back to this real quick as we wrap up episode 5. Like I said, Synth Britannia is a fantastic documentary if you can find it. Uh, someone might put it back up on YouTube or if you live in the UK, you can probably watch it on the BBC iPlayer. And there's a part of it where they get to the end of the, where they're going to get to the end of the, wrapping up the episode, and they interview Pet Shop Boys, who are fantastic. We'll talk about Pet Shop Boys in a coming episode. Love, love, love Pet Shop Boys. But they talk to Pet Shop Boys, and they say how great Pet Shop Boys are, and they are. But then they go back and they say, well, but by this time, uh, there was just, the charts were just full of synth pop, and people were sick of it. And as they're saying this, the two clips they show real quick are Thompson Twins and Howard Jones. And I'm like, wait a minute. You can't go on and extol how great Pet Shop Boys are, but then go back and beat up on Thompson Twins and Howard Jones, who came before Pet Shop Boys. What the hell? And Thompson Twins and Howard Jones are great. They're just as great as Pet Shop Boys. I'm sorry. And I've seen all three bands live. They're all fantastic, and you just leave Howard Jones and Thompson Twins alone. All right, so there's that. So we're up to our song of the week this week. It is uh, from another K-pop band. How about that? Uh, these guys are called Stray Kids. Uh, turned on to them by my daughters. Uh, my, I think, mm, fangirl, I think, is the actual Stray Kids fan. Uh, Liza likes them just fine. I like this tune. Um, we watch K-pop videos every night with Liza. Uh, I'm excused from the room while my wife and Liza dance to kind of get uh, some steps in and to get some active minutes on their Fitbits. But anyway, uh, this is not one of the songs they dance to, but this is a nice song. It's got a nice hook. And uh, it, it, again, like most of your K-pop, it's sung mostly in Korean, little splashes of English in it, which I like. And it's just a catchy tune. So our song of the week. Um, oh, it came out a couple of years ago, but they released an album last year, which I, uh, ostensibly is a, like a greatest hits to introduce Westerners to Stray Kids. So it comes from that. So I count it as being uh, a candidate to be a new release uh, and song of the week. So again, Stray Kids, song of the week on PH Tape Recorder, Awkward Silence. So long and thanks for listening. Oh my Hey, what the